Tech is not new anymore, and neither are conversations about farm data. But with each new wave of innovation, the same old data problems seem to continue to rear their ugly heads. When I see all the people that's coming to my farm, whether they're trying to get me to sign up for a climate product or a sustainability, regenerative ag, the list goes on and on. There's so much data that pours into that. We have to have complete industry collaboration or this thing's never going to work. Jeremy Wilson is a farmer, an advocate for digital agriculture, and the executive vice president and COO of Ag Gateway. He's been thinking about and addressing these data issues for decades at various levels, including on the farm, in agribusiness, in ag finance, and as an industry representative. He's realistic when it comes to the challenges involved, but he also continues to find reasons to be optimistic. We're in another changing generation here that's coming back to the farm that is going to make a difference. It's going to change. You look at the kids coming out of college now, you know, they were born with a smartphone in one hand and a video game controller in the other one. And the other thing they're not afraid of is sharing data. You know, that's another reason why I'm at Ag Gateway. When this group finally decides they need to share it all, I got to have the data standards and the framework behind us so we know what to do with it. We're geeking out over farm data with Ag Gateway's Jeremy Wilson on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Really enjoyed the interview that I'm about to share with you here today. But before we do, I do want to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor for this quarter, which is Calgary Economic Development. What makes Calgary, Alberta the engine of Canada's agriculture industry? Well, with direct access to a strong agricultural base, Calgary is a well-connected region with collaboration across geographic areas, industries, and research and training institutions. Calgary has experts in all things ag, including primary production, crop science, protein development, ag and food tech innovation, and animal health. It's also a hub for controlled environment agriculture, energy transition opportunities, and value-added food and beverage processing. Calgary is a hotspot for agri-food production and technology development, which is why multinational agribusiness leaders call the city home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. To do so, just visit calgaryagbusiness.com. You can learn more there. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. Go check it out. Thank you again to Calgary for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Jeremy Wilson of Ag Gateway. Uh, Jeremy's been a passionate advocate and catalyst for digital connectivity throughout his professional agriculture career, working within organizations serving farmers, including crop insurance, data collection and analysis, systems development, and field agronomy as a consultant for three decades. Leading up to his current role at Ag Gateway, Jeremy was a highly active participant for more than a decade on some of the organization's most important connectivity projects and volunteer leadership roles, including chairman of the Precision Ag Council and the SPADE project. He also served as chairman of Ag Gateway's board of directors. Jeremy says other than ag data, his real passion is for farming, and he continues to operate the 800-acre family grain farm he was raised on near Olney, Illinois, which I understand is in the southeast part of the state. Helpful to know before we dive in here is a little bit more about Ag Gateway. Uh, to try to sum it up, it's a global nonprofit organization whose members develop standards and other resources so that companies can rapidly access information. 
Another word for that would be data. They bring the industry together to strive towards cost savings from more efficient business processes, inventory management and traceability, uh, interoperability and in field operations, which we're going to talk most about, I think, today, and the ability to leverage data to increase profitability and sustainability throughout the agriculture value chain. I know that's a lot of jargon, but ultimately they are a nonprofit that brings together companies and other organizations into a, a global forum across different sectors of the industry. So these individuals and these companies can meet and uh, work together to try to solve industry level digital challenges for agriculture and food and other related industries as well. The 200 member companies that make up the organization include ag retailers, distributors, manufacturers of equipment, seed, crop nutrition, crop protection, etc., grain and feed companies, precision ag providers, specialty chemical providers, and software and data service providers. And I'm sure that's not a comprehensive list. There's probably even more. Uh, so this is important work that really could have an impact on the future of agriculture. And I'm excited to dive into this further with Jeremy on today's episode. I'll go ahead and just drop you into the conversation now where he's explaining why, after many years working in various aspects of the industry, he decided to join Ag Gateway in his current capacity. Well, I've been a volunteer um, with Ag Gateway since about 2010-2011. And at that time, Coming out of Precision Ag, we had mountains of data that we were collecting from field computers, from farm management information systems. And in my own operation, I was running probably three to four pieces of software to be able to interpret all that data and make decisions. Long and short, I capture every piece of data that's possible to be captured on my farm. Yeah, there's a few things I've not dove off into yet. Most people will never believe that, but there's a few things I haven't done. But every piece of data I capture and collect, I feel like I have a value to it. And I want to apply that to make decisions. And if we go back in the history books, you know, in that time frame, data was really painful. And Ag Gateway decided to start a new industry segment, you know, called Precision Ag. And so I got involved and we took off first in our first effort is, you know, how do we interpret all this field collected data? My real drive and passion is data interoperability, and that's what Ag Gateway is. And so it was a logical move, and I volunteered for a long time. And, you know, there's some buzzwords out there that you probably hear and have heard of. Um, things like ADAPT was one of the first deliverables that, that we brought kind of out of that precision ag space, which was really a data model that folks could implement into their own farm management information systems to be able to read and interpret data collected in the field off my farm. And, you know, we have grown from that now, but, you know, the real thing that brought me this organization is not only what they were doing in Precision Ag, but all the work they had done in ag retail and streamlining processes. So when I stood with my agronomist and I said I wanted to order hybrid XYZ, it was an automated process to get that order placed, get that seed brought into that ag retailer, but then more importantly, get it delivered to me in a timely fashion to eliminate all this multiple data entry. And, you know, I saw all the work that they were doing there and it's like, I got to be a part of this. Now, I don't want you to pretend for a minute we're done. We still have plenty of work to do. But, you know, that's what drug me there the first time, Tim. Yeah, it, it, a lot of the problems you're describing, you know, there there are several companies that will come onto a podcast like this and say, this is what we're doing and, and describe exactly that, that problem you're, you're talking about. How do you all determine which of those problems should be approached by Ag Gateway, which is a 
a membership-driven organization of those companies and which should be kind of attacked by the individual companies themselves? It's really member-driven, Tim. So, you know, we have a process where we have what we call a quote-unquote meetup, where we sit down and talk about all the possible things that we could possibly work on, or we talk about a specific problem. One of the very best examples I got, gosh, I hate to even say the year now, but I'm going to say six, seven years ago, there was about three of us as volunteers that felt like this whole field boundary issue, I'm not going to call it, it wasn't a problem, but it was an issue because we had, at that time, even seven years ago, we had multiple shapes or GIS expressions of the same piece of real estate. And I'll never forget the three of us kind of locked ourselves in a room and we worked at this for like, oh man, probably three months. And we went to our annual conference in November and the three of us stood up front and, and introduced all this work we had done. And we had this concept and we thought how it would go. And literally, Tim, they laughed us out of the room. No ifs, no ands, no buts. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got drug off in the hallway more times than you can count and kind of got a finger put in my face and said, hey, we got that figured out. You just leave this alone. You just back away from this. And so we did. And so, you know, we fast forward then, you know, I'm going to say a couple years after that, the three of us were still friends and we're like, we're going to try again. And we kind of floated in a small group. And once again, the finger pointing come back and said, thou shalt not. And then we come to annual conference 21, I believe. And, and I wasn't on staff at that point. I was still a member volunteer, but I just got a lot of emails from folks saying, you know what, Jeremy, maybe we were wrong eight years ago. Would you bring this back? And would you float the idea one more time? And so I went and drug out all those notes. Um, my two friends, I, I pinged them and I'm like, all right, guys, we're we're going to do it again. And he's like, no, we're not. And I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going to. And so we brought it back and literally had a standing room only crowd of people that said, you know what? Yeah, we got to figure this out. And so, you know, that was in, I think, 21. So in 22, we put a little more effort to it. I kind of let it rest a little bit and let people think about it. And, you know, right now we probably have a group of 15 to 20 people that are meeting regularly to begin to define, you know, things like field boundaries. And we're not even to the tip of the iceberg yet. I mean, we got to do a lot of work around, you know, there was absolutely no definition in our industry of what was a field boundary. You know, I mean, everyone thought they knew what it was, but that's how we do it. It just, it comes by our members agreeing that, yeah, this is a problem we need to work on. And, and, and that's what we focus on. And that's how we choose what we work on is what the members see the value in, in us committing our time to. Yeah, let, let's keep on this field boundary example, because I think it's a good one. Uh, first of all, what's more fundamental than defining what a field is, right? Where a field is, is the work you're doing, is it to try to standardize the data, you know, data standardization in which everyone who's a part of Ag Gateway agrees that this is how we're going to define a field boundary. That's our first step. And I wish you could have been at the meeting where we first tried to define what a field was. You know, that was a struggle in and of itself. We got there rather quickly. And then I think the reason that we've got so much interest and in why we got to define it is, is to where our industry is moving and the pace that it's moving there. And and so, I mean, Jeremy has his utopia of where he wants this to go, but the members have to tell us where they really want it to go. But our first real step in this is, you know, defining some key data elements that are going to be critical that we need to share 
I, I don't even want to touch geometry yet because that's an area that we've kind of left alone because it has its own struggles in and of itself. But if we can define, you know, what is a field, and we've actually moved to the point is there's probably going to ultimately be more than one field shape that represents that boundary. And how do we put terms and definitions around that so that maybe there is some overarching shape that might be how Jeremy Wilson farms that farm, but there's very logical reasons why there's other shapes that exist, whether it be like for reporting purposes, maybe it's for just this season. And probably we're going to call on some of the other work that we've done in the past in some data linking where we link multiple pieces of data back into a single identifier so we know where it all come from. I think in the end that may be where it ends up, Tim, but we just had to first define some things because I can tell you, if you look at my own farm, I can show you some GIS software right now. I probably have at least seven representations of the same piece of real estate that I've farmed for the last 35 years. <laughs> And how do we solve that problem? Because if you're going to supply a recommendation to me, I don't care what it's for, whether it's seed, fertilizer, chemical. When I pull into that piece of equipment, I have to have the right representation of that piece of real estate I'm about to apply a product to or it doesn't work. Okay, so this is such a perfect example. I'm, I'm really glad you led with this, Jeremy, because, yeah, this is really hitting on two of the biggest observations I've had, which is, number one, everybody, when they talk about the industry... They will talk about the interoperability challenges and the data integration challenges and how it's a big deal. And then you get them in a room one-on-one -on -one and you say, okay, well, here, let's standardize field boundary. They'll say, well, we already got that figured out. Here is how we do field boundaries, and it is the right way to do field boundaries. And then it's like, okay, well, I, I can see why we have a problem, and I'm sorry to tell you, you're part of it, right? Because you're, you're not kind of willing to create these standards because if everyone believes they're doing it right, you kind of can't get there. So I guess the, the next question is, this seems like it's not so much a technical problem as it is a collaboration problem. And is that, is that the primary you know, issue that Ag Gateway needs to address? That's exactly what we try to address, is that collaboration. You know what? We're not going to win them all. Sorry. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. I mean, there are some things that we have attempted and we can get the collaboration, but we get to a point that says, all right, we can't go any further because of I'm not even going to pick a reason. There's a number of them. But what we do is our organization provides that spot where we can all come together. I like to say in 2010, 2011, when all the precision ag companies got together, I attended my first AA meeting for precision ag ever. I mean, it, literally every company I was friends with raised their hand and said, yeah, we have a problem. And so that's what exactly we're trying to do because I'm trying not to prognosticate here, but when I hear all the people and I see all the people that's coming to my farm, whether they're trying to get me to sign up for a climate product or a sustainability, regenerative ag, the list goes on and on. There's so much data that pours into that. We have to have complete industry collaboration or this thing's never going to work. And at the end of the day, maybe I'm getting old, Tim. I don't know. You know, 20 years ago, I didn't care if it took me 47 button clicks to do what I needed to do. I was going to do it anyway. Maybe I'm getting old. You know what? I just, I want to farm. I want my data to be collected. And if it needs to go to somebody for something else, they better just understand how to read it. And that's what Ag Gateway does is let us come together. Let's standardize some of this very core pieces that everybody's going to use. 
You know, another example, I hate to inject something else while we're passionately talking about field boundaries, but if I think about the work we're doing in MODIS or the soil sampling standards right now, you know, that's been out there for a number of years. Ag Gateway didn't develop it. You know, another group of people did. It was brought to Ag Gateway, and now we're doing version 2.0 of that. And that's another critical thing to me, not only as a grower, but as an ag retailer, um, soil testing is a big deal to me. And when we combine what we've done with MODIS 2.0 and soil testing, and we add that on top of what field boundary work is going on, when we get these two things hammered out, we haven't solved all the problems, but boy, we put two big check marks out there that's been really a pain point, you know, for me as a grower or when I was Jeremy Wilson, the ag retailer and agronomist trying to do business with 37 different farmers. Right. Uh, as you think back to the work that Ag Gateway has done in the past, and, and maybe you've already mentioned it, but we'll just put it in this context of, you know, what comes to mind as the, the biggest wins as far as, you know, really facilitating that collaboration and maybe redirecting what could have been a train going off the track, so to speak. So there's really been, I'm going to say three. You know, one of the very early things that Ag Gateway did was around some of these Kimmy standards where it really streamlined ordering and receiving in product from ag retailers. So, you know, the manufacturers jumped on board. We brought forward this G10 concept that lives, which is the global trade identification number. We brought forward the Agus database, which is the ag industry identification system that stores all that data. I, that is like probably the first piece that kind of brought them together. We took the next step and we went into seed and we we had a seed connectivity project that spanned at least uh, two projects. I don't remember if it was two or three where we streamlined that process of ordering seed. Those were the first two that kind of brought all those people together and was kind of like the proof that the precision ag folks needed to say, hey, look, competitors can sit in a room and realize there's foundational things and data that we all need to share and how can we solve this problem. The next step without question was the ADAPT work that I briefly mentioned of now having the ability, if you want to deploy that data model on your software, you can license a plugin from any of the major OEMs and, and that data comes into your system. And so I think it's really those three is, and, and we needed we needed the chemical standards to get the seed people there, and we needed both of them to bring the precision ag people there. So I really hate to pick just one because it was kind of a group that brought them all together. And, you know, from all that, that's grown out into the pale standards, which is around irrigation so that, you know, we can automate some of these irrigation processes. And, you know, that's going to be critical too when we think about all these new things and, you know, how much water am I using, how much energy I'm using, you know, at all all flows into that and you know we've just kind of grown on that but i think those three were kind of like the first things that kind of got people to realize that yeah this can work mm -hmm. and, and when when new members are signing on to ag gateway what are they signing up for exactly are they are they committing to collaboration what what's sort of the sales pitch to them and the value proposition that they're they're seeing and then what what are they giving up in return so we kind of have two different members that join if you come in from the manufacturer ag retail side, most of those people are coming in to get access to our Agus database, our ag industry identification system, because a lot of that is now embedded into their ERP systems that they use for their billing and ordering and, and such like. So you got one group of members that join for that piece of value. 
when you look at the others, I mean, we get a number of startups that join and come take a look. And I think some of them join primarily for networking because our members tell us that's probably one of the biggest value propositions we bring is these two times a year that we all get together face to face. And, you know, forever you've needed to talk to this person from company A or company B, and we can never find the time to talk. But I think the startups join in getting access to people through the networking, but also for all of the standards that we already have created, not really created. I hate to say that that way. We create some standards, yes, but we also help implement existing standards as well. So they come for that assistance in the implementation or the standards that we've created ourselves. And then really what we provide back to them is a simplified process for using existing standards to help them streamline processes within their own business. Right. It makes a ton of sense of why a startup would want to go there. So, you know, they're creating some of the stuff from scratch, might as well create something that meets a standard so that it can easily be interoperable down the road. Along similar lines, you know, does it make the most strategic sense for Ag Gateway to focus on sort of budding aspects of the industry. Obviously, carbon comes to mind where the cat may not be out of the bag yet when it comes to everyone using their own standards. Great question. And I'll do my best to answer it because it's still so new. And I mean, when I look at all these, whether it's the the smart commodity grants that were published or we got folks that's in the carbon market or sustainability, I really think back to like 2012, 2013, we done some very foundational work. We had no clue was going to fit something like where we're at today. So how we went back and defined some very key documents that manufacturers need, farmers need, things like, you know, farm plans, farm recommendations, work orders. We defined all that. And so what these folks are doing is really taking that a step further. And and same way with our soil testing work right now. I mean, we've added a number of attributes to that standard so that it will fit for these carbon markets and sustainability. I very much believe Ag Gateway should be very foundational in helping get a standard around the data that they need to collect. I am not at all interested in defining what is the standard to say that Jeremy Wilson is a sustainable or Jeremy Wilson sequestered four tons of carbon per acre. I have no desire to play in that game, and that's not our space. But what we are very good at is how do we get this data? So I don't care which plan, which company, what thing you're in the middle of. We have the core data that's required that can go into those systems to drive those algorithms to then let other people make that decision. I guess more generally, and you could use that example or use a different example, where does the process tend to stall? You know, if you got a group of companies say, we want to collaborate from that initial sort of verbal semi-commitment to things maybe stalling, where, where do things go wrong? I think the biggest roadblock that we traditionally hit is one or two companies having a problem that they need to solve and getting more than just the two of them members or two companies to agree that that's a problem. So that's probably our biggest roadblock. Our second biggest roadblock is really that we get down the road and the standards getting pretty well in order. And then people go back and look at their own systems and say, oh my God, this is a major overhaul. Now, what do I do? Do I still say I want to support this and be a part of it because 
I'm going to need to redo X, Y, and Z within my own solution. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, I don't know a software development team out there that has unlimited financing and unlimited resources. I mean, even people is a problem sometimes. I literally can't hire enough people to write the amount of code I need to write to do what I need to do. So those are our two, that's our two biggest blockers. This is a bit of a random question, but if I have an autonomous vehicle, I have a lot of motivation to connect, you know, to others' data, if, you know, field data, agronomic data. I have a lot of incentive to do so. Uh, maybe more incentives, you might you might say, than than the people on the other side of that. But then I wondered. This is all going on in my head as you were talking about this. Can it actually be a competitive advantage if I have a soil sensor, but I'm the one that connects directly to the autonomous tractor? Can that be a competitive advantage for me? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'll take the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest one to talk about. We have, a you know, a couple or three, and I'm not going to call them new. They've been out there seven, eight years now. But some of these on-the-go fertility and, and soil health sensors, let's call it that way. Some of them, you know, physically take the soil and read things. Others are, you know, there's a gamma ray type of device and a few of those. I think absolutely there is a marriage between that technology and the machine control and product application that we just haven't figured out. And and it may be the process time is too long for it to be on the go, but I can't help but to think we're going to figure out these algorithms as we get more data from these sensors and then how do we drive those. And this may not be the place to inject it, but I said I was hanging up my working career and going home the day I could spread my dry fertilizer, you know, five minutes after my combine went through the field. And I'm going to have to take that back because in all reality, we have the technology and the connections and software now that Quite honestly, we could probably do it, but I still got a new few new things I got to fix yet. So um, I guess I'm going to keep working for a few more years. But, you know, I really think autonomy and linking those together are important. But I really think the first step that autonomy is going to bring is to help us solve some of our human resource problems. And I mean, I got a 17-year-old son whose only aspiration in life is to farm. You know, even that kid... As much as he loves technology and as much as he wants to do it, he even said just the other day, he's like, Dad, I'd be just as happy as if you could send me to the field with two tractors and I set in one and I control the second one. I said, well, that's good. I said, we just got to have enough internet bandwidth, you know, to be able to do that to also support your YouTube habit. And and he laughed and, and he says, what do you mean, Dad? And I said, well, it takes a lot of bandwidth to do that. Plus, at the same time, you have to be entertained or you don't sit in that tractor seat, right? Well, I don't watch YouTube all the time. I said, okay, let me look at your phone and see. And he's like, no, I don't think we should do that. I said, so yeah, I need autonomy because I need a smarter tractor because my drivers that I have coming back and this generation coming back to the farm, holding onto the steering wheel is not their entertainment anymore like it was when I was 17 years old and I couldn't wait to get out of school because I got to go sit in a tractor and drive a tractor because that entertained me. And some of this machine learning is going to assist that as well, is that I don't necessarily maybe have to have the very best driver sitting in that seat. If I can, A, keep him entertained and have enough autonomy in that tractor that it does its job right, that he can watch his YouTube and make sure that my piece of equipment behind it is functioning as it should, knows when to stop and get help whenever we need it, 
that's why I still think that's the next frontier and where where I think we'll see the next advancements as we learn more in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah. Well, keeping on the same theme of automation, so uh, let's let's use a hypothetical example of, you know, a company with an automated piece of machinery and a company with a soil sensor, weather station or both saying like, hey, you know, we can really make make way in this market if we just collaborate and like, you know, come up with a good way to integrate. Is that a barrier to overall industry collaboration? Because, you know, those two parties really want to make it happen together to create competitive advantages for themselves. So we get some of that. I'm a very transparent person, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're probably it finding that natural. already. It seems very yeah. natural. <laughs> we absolutely have some of that. At that gateway, we've had a couple things that we've tried to deal with that I think that could be why it didn't stop, but didn't move forward as quickly as what we think. But I, I'm going to be the devil's advocate back to you for just a little bit. In that example that you threw out, and you look at the work that Ad Gateway is doing right now, we probably have either have work to develop or have the implementation guidelines to use better than 70% of the data stream you need to drive that piece of equipment that you're talking about. Where our fit is and how we can help these organizations is we are that antitrust safe haven where you can all come together and talk about what are the fundamental things, what are we missing, what's that last 30% of data that we need to get, have a standard or find an existing standard and know how to implement to take us that last mile. And without a doubt, we get some blockers that because of that competitive advantage and say, well, if A, B, and C get together, then we've just knocked D, E, and F out. You know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen everywhere. But yet, so much of that core data, we understand and we can help and assist with that, that I still think that's why you have a number of those companies that may be in the, the ABC group or maybe the DEF group that still come and join because there's so much core data that they need. And now my job is wrangling these all folks together and say, all right, now let's let's finish that last mile. Yeah. No, and, and that's something I, you know, obviously we've talked about for decades now, I'm sure, probably before my time of, of like, you know, farmers' data being valuable, businesses' data being valuable. I really think that even the most skeptical of that concept are starting to see through automation, through artificial intelligence, as some of these applications were coming out, how valuable that data is. And I, I guess I'm wondering, uh, does that make your job easier or harder? Both. It, and it comes back to the example I just used. Some of that very lowest hanging fruit, we are great. We can knock that out of the park. And, and this industry has done it well, maybe for the last seven, eight years. But that last mile, and, and when we talked about it earlier, field boundary is a big one. I mean, that nut has to be completely cracked wide open so we can get to the bottom of it. And we're getting crazy close. But at the same time, we're getting ready to launch the next phase of working groups here. That's probably going to be the hardest part because there's just still some things that we have to sort out. And I mean, I won't name names, but I've got some very major players in the whole space that have said, look, I have an enormous database of field boundaries. I'm in with you, Jeremy. I'll help you. I'll help you solve this problem. And, you know, if we get three or four of them to continue to follow through like they verbally committed, we can bust this nut wide open. And then, man, that's when I get excited because now, you know, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts to people that's got new services and new things that they're offering. I just cringe when I think about the fact if I pick up the phone and call them and they need my field boundaries. How in the world am I going to get it to them? 
and and are they going to be right yeah i have a set that i want them to operate off on but is there any chance they're going to come in the way i need them to come in and am i going to be able to look at the product or service that they're wanting to offer and i mean that is the thing i'm going to fix i mean i may i may die trying but i ain't going to give up easy <laughs> yeah no i i think this is this is really fascinating, but also really, really practical because ultimately what you're trying to do and actually what everybody's trying to do is benefit the farmer or the agribusiness or whoever downstream is using, you know, wanting this data and it gets messy right in the middle of like, well, if our company just gets a hundred percent of market share, we can make it real easy, but that's just not realistic. And, and in a lot of cases we've seen the last couple of years, companies do go out of business in this industry. And uh, you know, then who who's left, you know, trying to reformat and reconfigure their own operations, it's the farmer. And so I commend what you all are doing and I can see where it's it's both rewarding and challenging. It absolutely is. And I was visiting with someone here, this has been a year or two back, and they made the comment I've said, you know what, so who's, who is going to win? And I looked at him and said, what do you mean who's going to win? Well, I said, if you think back to 2009, 10, 11, 12, it was a data race. And they said, and we're not going to name who it was, but by gosh, they was going to get all the data and they were going to be the winner. And they went away. And then the next one rose up. Oh, no, they're going to get all the data. And they made it a little ways and they went away. And, and I looked at them and said, at the end of the day, we have to move this to the point, whoever becomes the winner, if someone can become the winner, I have to be able as a grower to put my data into it, but get it out of it. If me as a grower decides that they're not the winner and I chose Tim, my data has to come into and out of those systems. And if you want to know what keeps me awake at night, that is the one thing. Am I doing enough to help, whether it's an ag retailer, whether it's a manufacturer, or whether it's a farmer? to make sure whatever data it is can come into one person's system or go into the other person's system because there is a reason why you needed to make a change. And that's my passion. I'm gonna bring data interoperability and I'm gonna make sure and give you the ability to choose and have portable data when you, as the owner of that data, choose to move it. At whatever level you are, you can do it. Well, I just was gonna switch gears here just for the last few minutes. and wanted to tap into your background, you know, with decades in precision agriculture to just, I've heard two different schools of thought, one of which is like, well, precision agriculture, that's just the standard now, that's just farming. Uh, and others that say we still have a long way to go towards precision ag adoption. And I know you said earlier, you know, there's still some things you haven't quite fully embraced on your farm related to, to data and precision ag. I'm just curious where you think we are today and what, what are the next steps towards precision ag advancement? Well, you know that, Tim, that's such a relative question because as you rub shoulders with growers, everyone's view of precision ag adoption is so radically different. But I'm going to say overall adoption of the basic precision ag tools, and I'm saying things like automated steering, guidance, intense soil sampling, I'm going to say that stuff has got to be nearing now probably 70 80 percent where we really draw the line and where it really gets different is is how we begin to stack data and technology together to let the data drive not only the equipment but decisions throughout the year and incorporating multiple sensors 
and driving that decision making. If we want to say that's the holy grail of precision ag, I would say that probably we're at a 30, 40%. Just we've got a number of people that's doing it. I mean, my biggest struggle today, and ironically, what we went through is so funny. At my farm, internet connection is virtually non-existent other than a Verizon Air Card or a, some type of mobile Wi-Fi brought in there. And, and ironically, I have fiber optic that's about um, just across the blacktop road from my driveway. And I, I've even offered to pay $15,000 to tap into that, and I can't get on it. So why I say is I'm I'm not adopted everything because if I had internet connection, I would have sensors out in every one of my fields capturing weather data, capturing other data, driving back into my decision support systems to help me make better decisions. That's where I'm lacking, but I'm lacking just because of bandwidth. I, I just I don't have the bandwidth I need to be able to do that. But I think overall adoption of the basics that everyone clamored to be a part of just even 10 years ago, we got a high percentage, um, you know, 70 to 80. And it's kind of like I said a number of times, this last mile of really capitalizing on the artificial intelligence you talked about, the machine learning, the automation, you know, that's a low percentage yet. And some of it is technology-based, some of it's connectivity-based, and the other probably 40% of it is farmers just saying, by God, I don't need it. I know how to do it. <laughs> and so, you know, that's where we're at. And and this, I've mentioned it once before, we're in another changing generation here that's coming back to the farm that is going to make a difference. It's going to change, you know, and you look at the kids coming out of college now, you know, they were born with a smartphone in one hand and a video game controller in the other one. And the other thing they're not afraid of is sharing data. My God, they're on Snapchat and whatever other TikTok and you name it. You know, data sharing is part of their life. And I got to tell one more story. We were trying to bail hay yesterday evening and I just about ready to strangle a 17-year-old son because he was Snapchatting himself loading every bale on the wagon. Dear God, why does your friends need to know you just put the 39th bale on the wagon, dude? Drive the tractor, okay? So, um, you know, it's a new generation, and it's going to change, and they're going to, you know, this data sharing is part of their life, and we got a generation right now that says, oh, by God, no, it's mine, and and that's going to change it all, and, you know, that's another reason why I'm at Ag Gateway. When this group finally decides they need to share it all, I got to have the data standards and the framework behind us so we know what to do with it. All right. Well, on that note, I think we will wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much to Jeremy Wilson for being on the show. Really appreciated his passion, his enthusiasm, and really his ability to speak to ag data from so many different viewpoints, uh, from farmer to somebody who's worked in ag retail, different areas of ag business, and of course, now on behalf of the industry with Ag Gateway. Highly encourage you to go learn more about what they're doing at Ag Gateway. You can do so just at aggateway.org. And if your company is not a member, I think you should really consider it. Um, This is really important work that I think does need to happen at sort of the pre-competitive level, if you will. And it's going to take collaboration, just like you heard Jeremy say. It's not always the technical issues that are holding ag tech and innovation back a lot of times 
It's the the collaboration issues, the people issues, and uh, trying to get those incentives aligned so that everybody wants to do what's best for the industry and the overall impact uh, is really, really important work. So thank you, Jeremy, for sharing it. Go check out aggateway.org. Thank you so much to Calgary Economic Development for being our quarterly presenting sponsor. And last but certainly not least, thank you for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.